and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk about cover crops. If you've got any questions about that or anything else going on in your farm, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com. Or find us on Twitter, AgPhdMedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. Now, you might think, oh, this is kind of a weird time to be talking about cover crops, but the main reason why we want to discuss this a little bit today is, how do you terminate those cover crops going into the spring? We get a lot of questions about, should I kill off the cover crop early? Should I plant into what a lot of people will refer to as a living cover? Should I just plant my seed then and then kill it off? What should I do? Um... Let me first say, it's really going to depend on your situation, your area, your rainfall, but we'll talk through a bunch of those scenarios today. I'll also say, when it comes to cover crops, the popularity seems to be growing. I I would say, though, to us, there is a difference between a cover crop and a crop that you are going to extract some income from. That we would actually call a cash crop. For example, a lot of people will seed something in the fall and then they'll have their livestock feed on it or they will hay it or maybe in the fall or the spring. Well, in any of those cases, that to us by definition is not a cover crop. That's a cash crop because you're extracting value from it. A cover crop in by our definition is literally something that we throw out there just to cover the ground to reduce erosion, maybe build soil organic matter, And then there are a whole bunch of other potential benefits from cover crops. Even on our own farm, if you would have listened to our show three years ago, you would have heard us talk about how, well, cover crops don't really fit very well on our farm because we aren't doing much for small grain anymore. And we're raising corn and soybeans primarily. Well, by the time we get ready to harvest, the snow is flying in a lot of cases. So we can't raise a cover crop in that situation. Well, in the last three years, a lot of things have changed. This huge dairy went up right next to us, and now we're selling them a bunch of silage. So last year, we had about 2,000 acres of silage. Well, the year before, we said, all right, let's try some oats, because a lot of people do rye. I don't like rye, and here's the reason why. We're in a dry area, and I want nothing growing in the spring. We want to plant right away when that frost comes out of the ground, And quite frankly, maybe even before the frost fully comes out of the ground, I'm willing to plant that early. Okay, so I don't need anything growing in the spring. If I have something growing in the spring, it's going to rob my water and and my early nutrients. So I don't want that. It doesn't fit well in our geography. So I want it dead over the winter or I have to terminate it in the fall. Well, why would I spend more money on herbicide when I can have the frost kill stuff off? So that's how we ended up with oats as our cover crop. Well, anyway, a couple of years ago, we're like, okay, well, let's experiment with this just to see. Are we going to have any yield penalty the following years or anything we don't know? We don't want to do anything dumb. So rather than put all our acres into this, we put some of our acres into it. And then guess what? Wind blew. Shocking, I know, for South Dakota. Wind blows every day and a lot. So we didn't like the erosion. And that's really what it came down to because when you go out there and you cut silage, as you well know, um, there's not a lot of 
cover for that ground. And we just decided, you know, even if there is something we're missing here and we do suffer a little yield penalty in the next year, even if we do have to put a little more nitrogen out or whatever happens, we don't care because our ground is so valuable. We don't want to screw it up. So we're seeding cover crop now, oats, like right away. And I I was kind of on our guys a little bit last year too, because I mean, I want this stuff seeded the same day the silage cutter is out there. I don't want to wait a week. I don't even want to wait a day. I want it done immediately. So if we get that done and hopefully we get a little rain or have a little moisture in the ground so this gets growing, now we've got protection for our soil. So anyway, that's just a little personal story about how we're using some cover crops on our own farm. We're certainly interested to hear your stories or answer any questions you've got about cover crops. Again, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, uh, several comments here. This one comes in from Sherman. He said you guys were talking about uh, many of the new technologies that add value, like GPS and auto steer and so forth. Uh, you had plenty that you didn't touch on. Obviously, you have limited time. Uh, a couple of, that came to mind were eliminating guess row width variants to optimize sun utilization, auto row and boom shutoffs to reduce use of inputs and so forth. And uh, also Sherman made some comments just about cultivating and how by the end of the day, you're completely worn out. And I agree with you, Sherman. There's uh, a lot of jobs on the farm that if if you weren't so worn out by having to focus on them yourselves and had some uh, technology to help you, that, that's quite a good thing. So certainly more things to improve on going forward. Uh, thanks for the feedback. Thanks for checking out the show. We appreciate that. I got this one from Yang who says, all right, guys, uh, talking about the pros and cons of no-till. One question I have, if corn roots stay a long time in the soil, how do you plant new seeds in the field without damaging last year's root system? How do you leave that intact as much as you can? Well, first of all, you're only going to seed in a lot of these crops like soybeans one inch deep corn two two and a quarter inches deep something like that whereas you have roots way deeper and also when you're seeding you're just cutting a little trench there not some great big trench you're not turning everything over not tearing everything up so it's no real big deal what we will typically do on our farm is we're planting in between last year's rows so let's say we're going to no-till or let's say we're going to strip till either way it's going to be in between last year's rows. Now, I'm not going to say it's going to be exactly halfway in between, but it's going to be in between last year's rows. So that also leaves a little bit more intact than if you were going directly over last year's row. Thanks for that question. Got this one that came in from Nye who said, uh, guys, you talk about planting into heavy residue. Today's topic will be cover crops. We'll kind of get into some of the same things. Uh, he says, I, I bought an old disc and I've just modified it to build my own vertical till rig specifically designed to my ground in my high residue situation. Uh, it works great in my plots that have high residue and I can still avoid doing conventional tillage. Hey, thanks, and I really appreciate that comment. We will get into some of those heavy residue situations. We're going to talk about cover crops on today's show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. 
Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're going to talk cover crops on today's show, and we'll take your calls and agronomic questions as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, it's kind of fun. When you talk about cover crops, it's so different depending on where you're at, what types of crops, what your normal rotation is, rainfall situation, weed control, all these things uh, that go into this. And everybody's got their own reasons for trying to do things just a little bit different on the farm. We'll start off down in Iowa. We've got Chris on with us right now uh, and talk just a little bit about what's going on in his farm. Chris, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good. All right. So you've gotten heavily involved in, in cover crops and, and talking to other growers and so forth. Uh, and, and I'm sure you'd probably echo the same comments I had. A lot of people have different reasons for, for using cover crops, but man, they got a lot of different purposes. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, for implementation purposes, like the, I think the key is to find out like what your goal is and to base like your program off of that. Like ours started out as erosion control and now we're seeing a lot of other benefits and, and we're also using it as an, an opportunity to partner with the livestock producers in our area. So they have some more grazing options and then we get the benefit of having the cows out there too. So yeah, that's awesome. And and I know we talk to folks all the time that graze stalks and these types of things, but uh, I know our, our uncle talked about this a lot, too, just on his operation, how putting cover crops out there, he goes, man, that, that just made a huge difference with the livestock that were able to graze out there, which, let's be honest, my aunt wasn't super excited. He he had started accumulating a lot of goats, Chris, so I don't know what you have grazing on, on yours. Hopefully it's all just cattle, but my uncles were all goats, and my aunt wasn't too happy about it. Yeah, our, we, we partner with mostly cattle operators and like it was like this year we had a really good stand like we, we got it in in a good time and got a timely rain and uh, man when they took the electric fence out a couple of weeks ago you could still see right where it was because they grazed right up to it. 
That's pretty cool. Okay, talk to me about this then. Uh, I know a lot of guys are using cereal rye, and and on your farm, uh, did it start with one cover and move to a blend or anything as you you started getting grazing going on, or, or are you still sticking with your original choice? Um, we still do mostly cereal rye, um, but we harvest our own seed, and we're kind of expanding that into a local business uh, on that front too to, to grow our seed and sell it. So like behind where we have the rye, we have a lot more options. We can do like soil building mixes or mixes specifically that get better growth for grazing um, and stuff like that. But on the rest of it, mostly we do cereal rye. We're branching into um, some triticale this year be just uh, to kind of diversify a little bit and because it's a better uh, feed value where it grows better and the cattle producers like it. Interesting. You know, you, you talk about cereal rye and you talk about erosion control, even with the grazing. Uh, that's been one of the cool things is uh, you can still have that great root system intact. Uh, what about with soil health in general? Have, have you been trying to measure that on your farm? And, and just curious what, what things you've noticed out in the field? Yeah, we, uh, we've actually started partnering with uh, NRCS in our area and uh, we we do some some training for our local agents because we have some fields that we just picked up a couple of years ago that were traditionally tillage and we started doing some cover on and some stuff that we've been doing cover and no-till since the for a long time and like just like water infiltration rates like uh we were absorbing they did a test and where we'd been doing everything longer term, it would absorb an inch of water in about 30 seconds. And on the places that we hadn't done it as long, it was like nine to 10 minutes. And that's huge. Wow. Yeah, that is, that is something. Uh, and, and you think about it, some of these rains that pop up come awfully quick to be able to soak that in. Uh, that, that helps erosion control a ton. That's, that's a big, big deal. Right. And even just water holding capacity. So if you get a you know, an inch in like 30 minutes instead of like over an hour or two, you know, you're, you're recapturing more of that water. Speak of capture, I guess one last question I've got for you, Chris, how about the carbon market? Have, have you gotten into this yet? Or, or what would you encourage growers if they said, Hey, I want to raise cover crops as part of a way to get carbon credits on my farm? Um, well, we've, we've looked into it a little bit. Um, I haven't found a program that I, super happy or super convinced that I, I like yet. Um, and some of it's because of the additionality because we've been doing it for so long, we don't necessarily qualify. Um, but just like with anything, if you're going to start doing cover, even though it may look better to start, like let's just do everything, like start small and like learn and talk to somebody who's done it and you can hopefully get over a lot of those road bumps or not have as many problems right away. That is, that is great advice. I loved how you started things off by saying, what's your goal for doing these covers? And then the way you wrapped it up, start small and learn great pieces of advice. Chris, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today and good luck heading into the spring. Awesome. Thank you. It was great. You bet. Uh, another farmer down in Iowa. I've got Josh with us right now. Uh, Josh, okay. You heard uh, what Chris is working on. What What's a little bit different with covers on your farm? Well, um, I didn't hear everything, but I mean, we're, we're on my acres. Everything's gotten covered this year. We're working towards grazing, but, um, haven't quite been able to work out all the logistics yet on, uh, rented ground. But, um, we are actually, you know, I'm on my stuff. I'm working towards a pretty diverse blend. Um, 
just given the fact that I don't have any grazing ruminants or anything out there, I need to find something else to break up some of the disease and um, try to foster some of that underground livestock a little faster. That is awesome. How about manure? Uh, do, do you get into manure on some of your acres? And if so, how do you do that when you want to have covers? Do you put the covers out first? Do you, are you able to get the manure out ahead of when you got the covers on? A lot of, lot of factors going on there too. Actually, yeah. I mean, I found that with, you know, we've got uh, in this area, we've got a whole lot more hogs than we do people. And so, um, you know, a good chunk of our ground, probably at least two thirds gets covered with uh, hog manure of some kind. And I found that, you know, partnering hog manure with cereal rye is, is a great sink for some of those volatile nitrogen compounds. And so a lot of times what will happen on, on, my acres is I'll take the soybeans off. I will immediately, preferably be chasing the combine with a drill, put about 40 to 50 pounds of cereal rye out there, let that kind of get about, you know, an inch or two tall, come back through with an applicator, usually low disturbance. But even if they've got closing discs, we'll end up with something that looks a lot like strip till. And um, last year we decided we're just going to forego all the, the tillage passes ahead of that to level things out use those strips that the manure applicators left behind as, as, as guidance for our planter. And we had some of the best corn we've ever had off those farms. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, yeah. I like what you said there too, about you think about the nitrogen piece of this and uh, when we're putting out fall manure, I know some guys will say, man, I, I don't want to lose any of that in. If you've got a cover crop there that can soak it right up and, and actually help the cover crop too. Uh, that's, that's kind of a win-win. Yeah, I mean, it's it, to to a certain degree, it's it's acting. You know, I always look at it as looking like a bit of a stabilizer and food for those microbes through the winter. So you know, they're gonna, especially like a year like this where we had a up and down year where it felt like, you know, every three weeks we were thawing out and and then freezing again, and and you know now it's uh, bare ground everywhere. Um, when those microbes wake up, they're going to need something to eat. And this is just, you know, a way to provide longer lasting um, uh, food for them, you know, to make, to stretch out that, that manure to convert it to a more plant available form when it's, when it's ready. And then, you know, by the time that that cover crop degrades, um, we've got more nutrients for our, for our growing corn crop or our growing soybean crop, whatever it is. So we're, we're looking at doing more things on our farms, um, including, you know, relay cropping where you grow a rye crop and a soybean crop at the same time. You harvest them at separate times. We are, um, I'm, I'm growing cereal rye now for seed. And last year I grew buckwheat as well. So, I mean, we're, we're finding that diversity is working in this area of Iowa where everyone just tends to associate us with continuous corn oh yeah exactly well, like you mentioned when you've got that many hogs in the area you know there's going to be a lot of corn just by nature hey josh this is great thank you so much really appreciate having you on and good luck to you heading into the spring thanks talking cover crops on today's ag phd radio show stay tuned it takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in and Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. 
It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Get what you spray for, results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. Talking cover crops on today's Ag PhD radio show, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can email us here on the Morton Studio radio at agphd.com as well. Let's head over to the University of Wisconsin. We've got Matt Ruark with us right now. Matt, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. You know, this this excitement and enthusiasm around cover crops just builds every year. And uh, we, one of our earlier guests said, well, I started doing it for erosion control, but found out there are a whole lot of other ways that I could win on my farm with this. And uh, I think that is kind of exciting when you go into it with one certain goal and realize, man, I'm, I'm winning on several fronts here. Well, right. And I think that's the, I mean, that is the one nice thing about cover crops. They do a lot of different things. And yeah, and farmers are using for a lot more different reasons now, even uh, beyond just erosion control. You know, I know on our farm, we've had, uh, well, two years ago, we had a great 
cover crop. Last year, we just didn't get rain and we couldn't really get it started. So I know it's not like, oh yeah, this is always going to work and uh, mm-hmm. you can just do anything you want out there. I mean, you do have to kind of know what you're doing a little bit. Uh, and uh, one of our other guests that we had on was Josh down in Iowa and he said the biggest thing was, or I'm sorry, was uh, Chris down in Iowa. He said the biggest thing, start small and learn and talk to people that have done this before. And I'm sure you get tons of questions on this, Matt. What are what are some of the most important questions that you get from growers that you think could really uh, help a new guy get started? I think, well, you know, especially for us in Wisconsin, where we we run out of you know the good growing season at the at the end of the growing season to to often get these cover crops you know established, uh, so they're going to survive the winter. A lot of it is how do I get them planted? You know, how do I get them going? And so a lot of the questions are about. How do we do effective interseeding? How do we seed late uh, to get a good stand? So, um, you know, half the questions are about uh, just getting that cover crop going. And along those lines, that's really about we've, we've got some good, you know, we've got a lot of trials at the university, but a lot of the real innovative stuff is coming out, um, you know, from farmers on, on how they're doing it and how they're making that work. On the On the flip side is like, well, how do I, when should I terminate and how do I, um, you know, and what are the ramifications if that cover crop gets too big? So some of the issues uh, that we can have here is that it stays, uh, maybe it stays a little wet. We can't get into the field early uh, here in Wisconsin. And sometimes that cover crop can get, the biomass kind of gets out of control. And then what, what happens and how do I need to, you know, what are some management things to think about as, uh, as it goes into a corn or, or soybean planting season? Yeah, one of the first questions we had today was just dealing with lots of residue out there. And I know Mm -hmm. we get the question a lot about, hey, I'm going to put my pre-emerge herbicides out. But uh, at what point, I know there have been university studies on this too, of how big that cover crop can be that you can still get good activity out of these pre-herbicides. So, yeah, there's a lot to learn. Uh, There is. And, you know, and then too, and how to, you know, on the on the fertilizer side of things, you know, if it's it's depleting that root zone of, of nitrate, which we may want it to do, right? There's a lot of, we can uh, a lot of water quality goals we're trying to achieve with cover crops, but that crop obviously needs that nitrogen. So making sure you know, we get that nitrogen out uh, on the early side, making sure maybe we're using we've got starter fertilizer that has nitrogen in it, um, and certainly not cutting our make you know cutting ourselves short on nitrogen as we apply nitrogen in season. You know, the, the soil health benefits are things that a lot of long-term cover crop growers have said, man, I just noticed so many different things in my soil. And, and you mentioned the, the fertility aspect. You know, we certainly recommend, the, just like we were saying earlier, start small and learn and, mm-hmm. and do a lot of things. What are some of the things that you would encourage guys to, to try to measure? Would you say, hey, pull soil tests out there and just see exactly what's left in the spring? Uh, do you like soil health tests? What are, what are some of the things that you're working with there uh, at University of Wisconsin? Well, you know, my favorite thing to measure is actually just the amount of cover crop biomass itself and getting an estimate of like how much nitrogen was taken up by that biomass, just throwing out a, a PVC square and, and taking a sample, drying it down like that. That's been telling us a lot. Um, but also then as you think about uh, assessing the, the benefits of that cover crop, you know, nothing beats just putting a shovel in the ground and, and, and taking a look at it. You know, we did this on-farm trial uh, with a farmer putting out cover crop strips, and we actually saw a yield increase last year in the strips where there was a cover crop planted, and we couldn't quite figure out, you know, what was driving that. But then as, you know, after we're talking a little bit, you know, we talked about 
uh, the farmer knows, hey, actually I've noticed more more earthworm activity in and more earthworms in those in those strips where we use the cover crops. And so there's all sorts of things, you know, just looking at your soil, um, you know, is is sometimes the best thing to do. Well, Matt, I can tell already you're my kind of guy. I love to love to carry a shovel with me when I go in the field. That's that's how I tell what's going on a lot too. Is I just put the shovel yeah. in the ground and flip it over and let's see what we got. Exactly. Well, there there are certainly a lot of good things about cover crops. A lot of reasons why farmers are are getting into this. We do appreciate what you're doing on the university level, and also appreciate hey just the realistic view that you know what there are a lot of innovative farmers out there. We got to pay attention to what's going on on the farm too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on here, and good luck heading into the spring. Sounds good. You too. Let's head over to Indiana. We've got Roger on with us. He farms over there. How you doing, Roger? Oh, pretty good. All right, we're talking cover crop today, and we only have like half the show left, so I don't know if you can fit all that you want to talk about in that <laughs> half a show. It's it's you and Brian, Roger. I, I, got it. I know you guys both have lots you want to share, so I'm going to give you a first shot at it. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to echo a lot of what, uh, Matt, your last caller had to say up there. We do see a lot of the same things here in Southern Indiana. Uh, I've been at this for 25 or 30 years, I guess, actually 40 that I started dappling. But anyway, uh, just your soil gets more mellow. Uh, we use actually a little less fertilizer. We soil test every three years just to make sure where we're at on everything. Our yields have been climbing tremendously, uh, especially the last five years. I think that just has to do those. We're making our soil healthy. Uh, we're releasing pan up nutrients down there, bringing them up, letting the roots go down, finding deep nutrients, deep moisture. Uh, and since I started planting green in 2010, I've just loved it. Uh, hey, Roger, let me, about the, let me jump in okay, on that because ahead. I know one thing you've talked about too, and you mentioned going down for nutrients and going down for moisture, and you have worked on that. You've worked on controlling your your water table too with drainage tile where you needed that, and um, you know putting cover crops out, strip till or reduced till to to try to um, keep everything intact that's going on underneath the soil. How, how big a deal has that made? I, I think that water table thing is something Brian talks about a lot too. Oh, that is critical. I mean, you almost need that before you get do anything because all of these great microbes we're growing with these cover crops and making work, your roots, almost everything is aerobic, the good stuff. So uh, number one is getting that excess moisture out of the way because if it's underwater, it just can't survive. Our microbes can't survive. Our earthworms can't survive. Uh, so, you know, we, it's very critical we get that out. And there's a lot of stuff about tile, but I tell you what, tile will only remove excess moisture. Once you get the optimum moisture level, tile lines quit running. 
and then your crops can use it. All of your critters down there can breathe and grow and do what they're supposed to do. Well, I think that's a great point. When we think about the living things in our soil, these are aerobic creatures that that need air. And if we can get that air-water balance right, and then we get the soil structure right, a lot of folks will talk about that too with the cover crops. I know you're really focused on that, and, and we do applaud you that you have field days, show these things off to other farmers, and try and share, hey, here's what's going on on my farm. And uh, Roger, we'll have to talk to you as we get closer to your field day, talk about that a little bit too. Hey, Roger, thanks for being on. Really appreciate it. Good luck here heading into the spring. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. You bet. Be right back. Talk a little more about cover crops after this. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at TrivoltInAction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. Crop. 
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio talking cover crops today. If you want to call in, it's 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Okay, so to finish up things on this cover crop topic, I guess I'll just tell you a few of the keys for us in our operation and what we're looking at. Number one, we want a couple of months where the cover crop can grow. So if we're harvesting the 1st of November and the ground is freezing by November 15th, 20th, 25th, whatever, uh, that is not enough time. We don't have any heat units then, and it's simply not going to work. But when we're doing small grain, when we're cutting silage, when we've got any crop that's coming off early, so we have some time, and maybe even 45 days might be enough. It just depends on your situation and what your goals are. But all we're saying is there has to be at least a little bit of time where this stuff grows. I said this earlier in the show, but for us, our goal is I don't want something living in the spring. Now, you may be in a totally different situation than us because we plant as the frost is coming out of the ground. If you plant a month or two or three months after the frost comes out of the ground, you might want something that's growing in the spring. Just keep in mind that it's going to take some water and it's at least temporarily going to use some nutrients. Now, granted, if you till that back in or just let it die off, the nutrients will come back, but they're not there day one. So you may have to compensate for that with a little more fertility early and then maybe hopefully a little bit less later on. Beyond that, there are a lot of different cover crops that do a lot of different things, obviously. Just make sure that you know what you're getting. And here's what I mean by that. Back, this is quite a few years ago now, I was in Iowa doing a meeting and I just happened to stop at a place where there there was some corn that was, it actually looked pretty bad. And I talked to the landowner who said, why is my corn so, why was it so purple this spring? Why is it looking bad? And I said, well, tell me about your situation. And the landowner said, well, last summer we had prevent plant. It was like the first time we've ever in our history taken prevent plant. And I said, okay, so what did you do then? Well, we planted a cover crop. I said, great. That was great advice. What cover crops did you plant? Radishes. And I said, what else? They said radishes. (laughs) I go, okay, here's what happened to you. Radishes don't support mycorrhizal fungi growth. What's that? Well, the phosphorus in your soil isn't going to do its full job without mycorrhizal fungi. And here's what I mean by that. One of the things that mycorrhizal fungi does in the soil is it will attach itself to plant roots and then it will go out from there and it will actually bring nutrients in that the plant can't normally get. So a bunch of the phosphorus in your soil, it's not going to be available for that plant without the benefit of mycorrhizal fungi. And you might say, wait a second, this sounds like an amazing deal. Why would the fungi do that? This happens all the time in our soils. Many of the living things in our soils, they're depending on the crops we raise to kick sugars out, kick food out for them. So they're trying to do everything they can to help the plant do better, which means the plant then kicks more sugars out or, you know, more food of any sort out into the soil. So that's why they do it. But my point here is if you have something like radishes, because you you hear, oh, I should raise a cover crop, and oh, I hear radishes are good at breaking up compaction, and maybe this is a good crop to raise. Well, you got to make sure you understand the whole story. 
And the thing is, when radishes don't support mycorrhizal fungi, and then you're going to go back the next year with a very phosphorus-dependent crop like corn, I mean, unless you're going to put on a ridiculous amount of phosphorus to overcome that, you're going to most likely have some purple corn. You are most likely going to hurt your yield. And then you're going to wonder what the heck was I doing and why should I even use a cover crop again? Well, it's not the cover crop's fault. I mean, in this case, it kind of was the radish's fault. But what I'm saying is we just all have to educate ourselves more on something we might be getting into for the first or second or third time ever. So anyway, for us, I brought up earlier that oats fits well for us. Now, that's not to say that that'll be the permanent solution for our cover crop choice after silage because maybe we'll start to have issues with some disease or a bug or maybe it's even hosting some kind of nematode or mite or something that I'm not even paying attention to right now. I don't know. So we'll continue moving forward with with where we're going today, but I do like oats in our particular situation. So a couple last things. Number one, I don't encourage you to spend a lot of money on a true cover crop. If it's a cash crop, again, if you're feeding it, grazing it, baling it, whatever, that's a different story. You, you plant an appropriate population so you maximize yield or tonnage. But if it's just a cover crop and you're just trying to hold the soil down and maybe do a couple other things, like we are on our farm, we're just trying to prevent erosion. That's honestly all I really care about. Maybe build the soil a little bit, but no real big deal. I'm not going to accomplish that much in two months. But anyway, to reduce erosion, I don't have to have a super thick stand. So we're seeding our oats at a lower rate than the average person probably would. In addition to that, I'd just say you don't want to spend a lot of money. So, I mean, think about it. What what could oats possibly cost me if I'm throwing a bushel out there per acre or even a bushel and a half? It's not a whole lot. I am not spending many dollars, and I like that. Oh, I got one last thing. A lot of people ask us, because we're the weed guys, they say, well, what, what herbicide can I use that'll kill my weeds, but it'll be safe for my cover crop this fall? And I always tell people, look, uh, first of all, we, we can talk about your options with your particular cover crop and your cash crop and how that all fits in. But I just say, I'm most concerned about my cash crop because that makes money. I quite frankly don't care much about my cover crop. Don't get me wrong, I want it, but I can switch the cover crop and it's not really going to hurt me a whole lot. If I try to switch my cash crop, it could cost me hundreds of dollars per acre. So I can't afford that. And I also can't afford weeds. So I've got to make sure that I get the weeds under control. So if I've got two choices out there that are equal, one will hurt the cover crop, the other won't. Well, that's easy. I just pick the one that won't hurt the cover crop. But unfortunately, it usually doesn't work that way. If I pick one that's safe for the cover crop, well, it's not as good on the weeds. And so that's where this trade-off comes in. But let me, I, I just want you to think about this. Let's say that I do damage my cover crop just a little bit with a little bit of herbicide carryover I have left from the spring. Is it really that big a deal? If I at least have something growing out there, sure, maybe it's stunted a little bit or whatever, but didn't it still accomplish my goal of reducing erosion? Because that's my main goal here. Didn't it still accomplish my goal of, oh, I've got some roots in the ground. It'll use a few nutrients or tie them up so they don't leach away or whatever. I mean, we can still accomplish a lot of things, even with a slight amount of herbicide damage. So again, it's whole different if it's a cash crop. I don't want to damage that cash crop in any way whatsoever. But the cover crop, I don't mind so much 
if I did ding it up a little bit, as long as I get fantastic weed control and maximum yield in my cash crop. Okay, I think those are the main questions that we typically get. If you've got any other questions about cover crops, you can either give us a call or send us an email. We're more than happy to talk about this at any point because, quite frankly, it is it is kind of new for a lot of people, even for us on our farm. I mean, we never started raising any cover crops until probably the last 10 years. You know, dryland South Dakota, a lot of people are going to be talking about, oh, i got to save moisture, and the cover crop could use up a bunch of moisture. Yeah, that's very possible. But if I have some of my very best soil blow away in the meantime, um, now I got to replace a whole bunch of dollars worth of fertility, and that doesn't work out so well either. So anyway, uh, there are a lot of things to think about here with the cover crop thing. But again, my goal is always to seed as quickly as possible, as soon as I get that cash crop off the field, have at least a couple months where it's growing, and get it terminated either by winter or by herbicide so I'm ready to go next spring. And if you're planting into a little heavier residue, Norm has a comment here, and he said, uh, sadly, most people uh, take farming for granted. They have no clue that it's the most important profession on the earth. And uh, you're absolutely right, Norm. we got to protect oh. our topsoil and try and do the best we can to improve soil health along the way, and that's the best thing long-term for our farms. One last thing a lot of people ask is, if the cover crop's getting kind of big in the spring, how big can it be before I should burn it down first and then come back with my pre-emerge herbicide a week or two later? University of Missouri has done a bunch of work on that. What they found is 18 inches is kind of the cutoff. So if let's say that winter rye is bigger than 18 inches, you want to get it burned down first, come back a week or two later with your pre. If it's smaller than 18 inches, you should be able to be okay throwing the pre in with the burn down product. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the Ag PhD Mailbag. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. The weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey! Paul Revere! This whole midnight ride thing is getting real. But the HPPD-resistant weeds are coming! We've got Verdict Herbicide! Verdict Herbicide? Yeah! It's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Well, well then. Get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at FarmShopMFG.com. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, 
and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. The hardworking independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio. We've been talking cover crops throughout the show, but we're going to jump back into the Ag PhD mailbag right now. I don't know if this qualifies as a cover crop necessarily, Brian, but I suppose it could. Uh, Mark from Iowa's got a question on switchgrass. He said, if I'm going to be planting switchgrass, I'd like to do some sort of pre-emerge herbicide. Sure. What about simazine? I've thought about this. If I broadcast simazine... Uh, that would prevent a lot of weeds. Just curious if that would possibly prevent the seeds from germinating on my switchgrass. Yep, yep, yeah, it would. It's not labeled. So simazine is Princep, and and that is not labeled in switchgrass. You got the right idea, though. I I know Michigan State, I think it is, they had a study out a few years ago, and they were just showing, all right, if you just want to do tillage and mowing and some of these other things to try to prevent weeds, or if you want to use pre-emerge herbicide in your switchgrass, and they got a lot more production out of the switchgrass, obviously, if they use the pre-emerge herbicide. So what should you use? Well, what Michigan State used for their their study was quinclorac. That would be like facet L that you would use in, uh, in sorghum, or drive that we use in lawns, so quinclorac, and then some atrazine. Now, we're not huge fans of putting atrazine out pre-emerge. Um, and I will say that both the facet and atrazine can be used pre or post in switchgrass. Uh, you have to be a little bit careful, too, with the atrazine rate. Obviously, there are restrictions around the country and things like that. So we just get very concerned about that environmental side. Nothing to do with the efficacy or anything like that. But yeah, throwing a little bit of atrazine together with your facet L, that's probably the best way to go. And then hopefully you don't have too many weeds that are coming later on. Once switchgrass gets established, it's pretty strong. It can choke out a lot of things, but it oftentimes is very slow at coming. It's a warm season grass, I believe, if I remember right. And so to get it get it established, usually that's not going to happen like for us here in South Dakota when it's about 40 degrees in April. So anyway, yeah, pre-emerge herbicide makes a lot of sense. It's just Princip is not labeled. Okay, got a question that came in from Mike, and he's got some emerged mare's tail rosettes he wants to knock out. Mike said, uh, question for you, plan on using the three pre-program. Will I get enough burn down with 22 ounces of Roundup, 16 ounces of Authority MTZ, and one quart to prowl to no. knock down 
mare's tail rosettes. No. If not, could I potentially add something like one ounce of Sharpen to the mix? It's a lot no. cheaper than a quart of Liberty, and I want to save my Liberty for my post-pass. Nope, you can't add the Sharpen because the problem is if you're already throwing Authority or Valor out there, and you said Authority, um, it's too much PPO. You will hurt the soybeans, so you cannot do that. What we suggest people do is one of two things. The spring option is basically Gramoxone. And, I mean, yes, you could use Liberty, but like you said, you don't want to use it now. That's fine. I get that. Just throw Gramoxone in, and that'll take care of your problem. In the future, what we would suggest, and this is option two, uh, it's really on our farm, option one, we're paying attention in the fall. If we have mare's tail in any fields, then we'll go hit it hard with either a strong rate of 2,4-D or a strong rate of dicamba. My personal favorite, one quart of old Banville. You do that fairly late in the fall. You got to find a nice day. You want you want that day to be 70 degrees if possible. I mean, like in the afternoon, you go spray when it's 70 for a couple hours and you knock out those mare's tail. They are gone. You will not see them come back in the spring. The quart of Banville is fantastic all right but here's the problem he said we can't use dicamber 24d we've got grapes and apples we also can't use zidua pro because of the 41 month rotation to vegetables so he said there's a couple options off the table there you yep. know to me mike it sounds like liberty's getting to be a better and better option all the time you can spray liberty twice now i know it's probably the cost that's holding you back but you can spray it twice. It is labeled for, for two applications. I don't know if Gramoxone is going to make you real happy. There are some additional things you got to watch out for there in terms of safety. Uh, but Gramoxone could potentially be added to that well, burn down as Gramoxone well. Gramoxone is the same in terms of danger as gasoline. Uh, now, it obviously is different than gasoline. But in terms of toxicity, we're around that range. So... Yeah, I mean, as long as you have a good sprayer and good filter and everything, I'm I'm not that worried about it. But yes, it is it is one of the more dangerous products that you are going to handle on the farm. So I don't like using that, but that's kind of the choice. And in the fall, that's part of why we end up going so late. We don't typically have a lot of issues with movement around the country. So let's let's talk about that just a little bit more. Dicamba. I mean, does volatilize pretty easy. So does old 2,4-D. The new 2,4-D does not. So would I feel if, let's say in my area, well, actually there are some grapes not too far away from us. Would I feel comfortable in my area using Freelex, for example? I absolutely would. We're not seeing the volatility out of the new 2,4-D, like Freelex or Enlist 1, like we did the old 2,4-D. So that's what I would use in the fall. Now, you can hit it with other stuff, too. I, I mean, if you just get it burned down, even to the ground, you don't necessarily kill the root, you're going to be in pretty good shape. So some guys will use a high rate of just liquid fertilizer along with some valor or something like that. And sometimes that is enough to do it. But yeah, in terms of herbicide, I like Gramoxone. I like Liberty. I like Dicamba at a high rate. I like 2,4-D at a high rate. There are a lot of things that will we'll get her knocked back for you. It's just unfortunate that Roundup isn't doing it on very many mare's tail anymore. It seems like too many mare's tail are resistant. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, speaking of tough weeds, uh, our next question comes in from Brian. He said, uh, guys, uh, 
Johnson grass. I need a recommendation on controlling Johnson grass in my coastal Bermuda hay fields. And uh, normally, Brian, there's a few products that we use. Outrider is probably the one that has the least amount of crop response. Uh, it does have a 14-day haying restriction. No grazing restriction, but does have a haying restriction. That's sulfosulfuron is the active ingredient. Otherwise, we have a lot of folks that talk about Pastora or even in combination with Impose. Pastora is nicosulfuron and metsulfuron. Uh, one of the good things about it is zero grazing or haying restrictions. It does have a little more crop response. And Impose would be Imazepic would be the active ingredient. And there's generally a seven-day grazing restriction. But, of course, check the labels on all of those. So that would be a few suggestions for you as to what you could do to take Johnson grass out in Bermuda hay fields. The big thing is going to be trying to get it as early as you can. Uh, the more established the Johnson grass gets, the more rhizomes you've got, uh, it, it just gets tougher and tougher to control. So good luck. That's a, that's a tough weed to try to take out, especially out of a grass crop like Bermuda. Uh, I had a question from Peyton that came in. I uh, guess wanted to ask you about humic acid. Uh, this product we're interested in called RevCrop Pro. I know you guys had used Dakota Rev in the past. Just kind of curious if you saw advantages to this particular product or just in general using a humic where you would expect to see more benefits. Hey, thanks for the question, Peyton. Uh, that That is one of the more popular humics that have been out there, especially in the northern region. Um, there's a lot of guys that have been using that on turf and other crops. So uh, established product, if you're looking for a humic, I, I don't have anything against that particular product. There's there's a lot of different humics that are out there on the market. Uh, Brian, we've used humics in a number of different situations. It seems like uh, lower organic matter soils, uh, soils that have some some tougher conditions, you can see even more benefit perhaps. Yeah, in our research, we have just found that if your soil's perfect, let's say fairly heavy soil, medium to heavy soil, you got calcium magnesium balanced, you have high levels of P and K, you have great drainage, it's all tiled and everything, your pH is 6.5, it's perfect, we're not seeing as much benefit out of the humics. If you've got any adverse soil conditions, it, in our research, we found that we had more yield out of that humic. So... Why exactly? I don't know 100%, but I just know this. Uh, humix can certainly help. We, we typically will use humix more on the soil or in the soil. We use fulvix more for foliar or in furrow type applications. So with humix, they cost a little more money than the fulvix. And also understand humix do contain fulvix. Fulvix are part of the humic okay so the fulvic is kind of the more active thing it's a little bit less expensive so you're going to get a little bit less but again we like the fulvic foliar and in furrow and humics honor in the soil thanks for the question peyton we really appreciate it and yeah some of these things uh, don't cost a lot of money but could potentially help things out in your soil and, and with the fertility products that you're using as well. So definitely worth looking at. And, and you know, if it's the first time looking at a new product or, or a new product category, we always suggest start small, uh, do a little bit of testing out there and make sure it works out before you get uh, that is too big a part of your operation. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.